Welcome to the Reverse Selling Podcast, where real estate agents, salespeople, and entrepreneurs come to learn the best tactics and strategies to grow their business. Hosted by the creator of the Reverse Selling Methodology, Brandon Morinan. Selling is a pro-social endeavor. When it's done well, it helps the people you're selling to, it helps the company you're selling for, it helps the economy. Can you walk through how you can coach somebody through the call reluctance to get them to do this activity? Prospecting is something that, of all the activities we do as salespeople, it's probably the easiest to push off. There's a wall around success, and that wall is only scaled with good training and hard work. The price for success is always paid up front. Embracing the challenge, I think, is mission critical. And just saying, hey, that's how it is, and that's good. And so when I embrace it, when I come out the other side, uh, it'll mean something. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Reverse Selling Podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest. He is the author of one of my now favorite books in selling, The Science of Selling, and his new book, which comes out on March 22nd, Sell with More or, or Sell More with Science. We have David Huffield. David, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, it's great to be with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into some really good sales conversations so that our audience today can leave with as much takeaways as possible. So Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. And so the first thing, when I think about people getting into the sales business or what it means to be a salesperson, there's decades and decades of people just having this negative connotation towards what it means to be a salesperson and what salespeople are or they are not. And I think from what I believe and what I teach here at ReverseSelling.com is that selling is a process of understanding no longer is it a process of convincing. And I want your take on that because people think selling is like persuading people and convincing people to do things they don't want to do. And so when they become a salesperson, they've got a real tough time understanding that. So what is your take on, on that? No, I think we're very aligned in, in our approach. I think, and I think the word you use understanding is the best way to describe what selling is. In other words, to really sell effectively, I must understand those I'm selling to. So I can understand their priorities, their needs, their perspectives. And only then am I equipped to be able to answer those needs, priorities, and perspectives. And that's kind of the, the approach we embrace, which is we call it a science-based selling, which is we look at decades of scientific research that does just that. It helps us understand what's going on in the sale. How do I really understand someone and there's so much science that we can leverage to really do that. So I would agree. Only You can only productively influence someone and sell to someone once I understand them. Until you have that basic understanding, you will always struggle to be effective at selling. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I think that, you know, looking back historically, I think a lot of people... Like I, I believe that being in sales is something that we should be proud of because I think it's absolutely a servant leadership position that we take in society. And when we take the approach to understand somebody's true desired outcome, and we detach from the outcome 100% by essentially positioning our product or service as a fit 
And is there a fit or is there not? Then we can sell with integrity. Would you agree with that? I would. In fact, in my new book, Sell More with Science, uh, one of the latter chapters in the book deals with that. The title is Selling with Integrity, because this is a big issue. What is influence? What is manipulation? When are we most likely to engage in behaviors that are manipulative? What does that even mean? How do we protect ourselves? Uh, I think this is an important thing that we all really do need to think through because selling is something you do with and for someone, not something you do to them. And though that old stereotype of the, you know, the, the 1970s salesman that none of us want to be uh, is, is slowly fading, it's still present. And that mindset that you spoke to rightly is still prevalent in selling. And so we need to rethink this of what is selling and how do we do it rightly? And then how do we, how do we live this out as well? And that's something that I'm really passionate about. It's one thing to say, okay, I want to have integrity. That's, that's the first step, committing to it. But how do I actually live that out? Like, how do I actually serve people? What does that look like on a real sales call? And so I think exploring that and making sure we're not just giving lip service to integrity, uh, because often I've found in my career, people that talk about integrity the most are the ones that have it the least often, right? And they're trying to convince everyone and even themselves, they, they have something that they don't actually live out. But how do we practically do this? And I think this is a mission critical topic because selling is a pro-social endeavor. When it's done well, it helps the people you're selling to, it helps the company you're selling for, it helps the economy, it helps the world, it's how progress happens. I mean, we're constantly trying to convince other people and influence other people in positive ways, which is good. The question is, how do we do that most effectively? And that is where my position is really clear. I think the only way to answer that question really definitively is to leverage science. I love it. I love it. And that's why I love your work so much, because I think it's going to take some time to alter the perception of salespeople and what it means to be a great salesperson. But I think that is the work that you do, that you've committed yourself to, which is so, so cool. So let's talk about um, the, the foundation, I believe, David, of any sales career has to live in prospecting or lead generation. Although most salespeople have just they struggle badly with call reluctance. And on your podcast, you had a conversation to help people get through call reluctance. And in my work, this is like the the biggest challenge, right? Is is connecting the dots, helping a, a salesperson, whether new or experienced, connect the dots around the goals that they have for themselves and their family and the importance of the commitment to daily prospecting, but it is everyone's biggest challenge. Can you walk through how you can coach somebody through the call reluctance to get them to do this activity? Yeah. The good news is there really is a lot of science that we can leverage here to really help. Number one thing I think you mentioned a moment ago is having that process um, oftentimes when you say, well, I don't feel confident doing this, and that might not be something you want to just push aside. You might say, okay, why am I not confident? Well, I don't know what to say when I get on a call. I don't know what to do if I get this objection. So that's more of a, a knowledge and a skill issue. So that's something you want to address. So look for those red flags. But assuming that you have a process, you put in the hard work, you know what to do. It's just you don't feel comfortable doing it. 
number one, I think, recognize that that is a very normal thing for the vast majority of people who are in selling. I know when I first got into sales and even now when I uh, pick up the phone and try to reach out to someone cold, it, it can be daunting. You don't always feel like doing it. So a couple of things I think we can do to really help here. Number one is to use what I call action triggers. In other words, I found that prospecting is something that of all the activities we do as salespeople, it's probably the easiest to push off. You know, I'll do it later. I'll do it after lunch. Ah, that got busy today. I'll do it tomorrow morning. So you want to use an action trigger. What is that? An action trigger simply links a behavior with an environmental stimulus. In other words, it says, what am I going to prospect? When I first get into the office in the morning, I'm going to spend half an hour prospecting. No longer do I have to try to find time throughout the day. I do it right away every day. I have an appointment with myself to prospect every single day. So I use my environment as much as possible. And I might even tell other people, my manager, colleagues, hey, I'm going to be doing this so that they can hold me accountable. And I've publicly declared what I'm going to do, which is research that shows when you do that with people's opinions that that matter to you, it can give you that extra nudge uh, when you need it. Second thing that I think you can do that I think I alluded to in the podcast you're referencing with one of the uh, individuals I was coaching who had extreme call reluctance. Now, this is his situation. He would walk in in the morning and he even would try to create action triggers, but he would sit and look at the phone for an hour and literally could not pick it up. And if he was able to get a few co- phone calls out, uh, he was, it was a big win for him. And so, so what's going on there? What the science shows us is there's part of our brain known as the amygdala, where the emotions are, are held, and it was just overstimulated. It was paralyzing him. It's that fight or flight response. Well, he, he, uh, he was just stuck. Uh, in those emotions. And so there's a number of things we can do there. The thing I did with him, uh, which gets, he was very aggressive. It's like, I have to change this. I need to do it today. What can I do? I'll do anything you say. So he was desperate. And so what I had him do was just something extreme. We wanted to tame that amygdala. And so there's a number of ways we can do it. What him and I did, he was uh, local. I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So he came to my office. So we were doing some some coaching. And I had him go with me to the mall that was like five minutes away. And I had him bring his script that he does when he prospects. And I had him stand up in the middle of the mall next to the food court and just talk to no one. Wasn't bothering anyone, wasn't harassing anybody. Um, But he was and he was scared. He was shaking a little bit. But after about half an hour, this strange confidence came over him And he started to like it. And he didn't even want to leave by the time we were done. But here's what happened. The next day, he goes into his office, gets to picks up the phone to make the first call, and he makes it. Because now we've rewired his brain, literally. We said, hey, his brain said, well, this is nothing. I'm here in my office. I'm uh, I'm sitting in a nice air-conditioned office. I'm calling someone. What's the worst they can do? Hang up? Because yesterday, I was at the mall doing this. People were walking by and looking at me like, what's up with that guy? Right. (laughs) And so we just calmed that amygdala down. Now, that's an extreme example, but sometimes that's a quick way of doing it. There's a lot of other slower ways that I've done over the years, but he wanted something fast. And to this day, that was probably maybe four to five years ago, at least. He's a beast. He is a beast uh, at prospecting. In fact, that's one of his best skills. And he literally changed his career with prospecting in about 30 minutes. 
It was that one thing. He was never the same. And day one was night and day different than it was prior to that exercise. So when we understand a little bit of the science, we look at how can we apply it. Sometimes you can get results, amazing results very quickly. I love it. I love it. You know, I talked to something about with my students uh, that I learned from Darren Hardy, and he talks about the pain pleasure pendulum. Mm. And the thing when it comes to prospecting, you know, I look for how can we remove the emotion and apply real evidence to what we're doing to be productive. And I want your take on, you know, when it comes to the most important activity in sales, which is prospecting daily. Um, you know, what I always say is if you're in pain, that's actually the evidence you're doing the right thing. And when you live in this comfort zone, that's the only evidence that you're probably not doing the right things that will lead you to your goals, which is like anything in life, right? Like working out leads you to being healthier, but you have to go through pain in the muscle. Uh, do you think there's an association based on the science, based on the data, based on the studies that that this pain-pleasure relationship is something that people should pay attention to? Yeah, I think that's spot on. Uh, in the new book, we have, in the first chapter, we talk about a number of mindsets that are predictive of heightened levels of success uh, and, of course, sales success as well, just even success in general. One of them is what's called an achievement mindset, which is your belief in your ability to achieve a certain outcome is predictive of whether or not you'll actually achieve it. And then the question is, well, how do we grow our achievement mindset? Because that's what the research shows is really amazing. It's, it's a mental thermostat. In other words, what you believe you can achieve, rarely do you get beyond that. So how do we grow that? And what the research shows is really fascinating. One of the ways is to challenge yourself, to push yourself, to embrace when you mentioned that pain of discomfort, because when you go through something challenging or you push yourself, uh, like the gentleman I talked about a, a few minutes ago, what he did, it gives you all of a sudden, you're like, I can't believe I just did that. What else can I do? And your achievement mindset just goes to that next level. And so, yeah, if you find that things are getting too easy, that is um, very indicative that you're not moving forward. You're not pushing yourself. And, and in today's environment, if you don't move forward, you're going to fall behind in today's hyper-competitive marketplace we're in. So you want to challenge yourself. In other words, you want to earn your confidence. What's the difference between real confidence and overconfidence? Overconfidence is me getting in front of the mirror and saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And no one believes that, including me, yeah. right? I'm trying to fool myself. Real confidence is where I earn it. And that's what the research shows. There's literally decades of scientific research that shows that if you want to have real lasting confidence, that'll push you to go to the next level in your success. You want to, you want to push yourself. You want to embrace those things that might scare you a little bit. And when you find a way to get through them, then you go, what else could I do? What? And now you're more open to taking on bigger challenges and you just really free your mind to explore, okay, what's next? And you start thinking bigger. And so that can really, really set you up for a lot more success. So yeah, I would say in sales in general, anytime you find, boy, this is, everything's just so easy. That means you're stagnant and that's something you want to be afraid of. If you think the pain will hurt uh, when you're stagnant for even a short period of time, the end result that brings you is much, much more painful. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. So I want to I want to get your take on something that I don't know if I've heard you talk about or not, but I really want your opinion on the fact that there are a lot of social media influencers nowadays that are coming out there with messages that are in direct conflict with what you and I believe to be true, which is that new salespeople, new entrepreneurs, new business owners, David, can sit back, take a passive approach, make some cute posts on social media, and that's going to be enough for them to reach the goals that they've set without taking uh, uh, an active approach to prospecting lead generation. Do you think there's any truth you know, with this huge social media movement um, where a salesperson can achieve high levels of success being passive and waiting for business to find them or, or not? Yeah, that was the promise, what, about uh, 10, 12 years ago with social selling. They said, this is going to replace salespeople. It's going to, all you got to do is throw some posts out on LinkedIn and Twitter at the time and, and life will be good. And of course, that hasn't manifested itself. That was the big promise back then, but it's still around today, just in a different, uh, different form slightly. Yeah, I would say it's it's easy going back to what we just talked about. Anytime the temptation is to do less to get more, it, it you know it tickles all of our ears, and we're like, well, that sounds interesting because who wouldn't want that? The reality is, unfortunately, that's not how the world works. It's the grinders who win in the end, and even people that might have more natural ability or sometimes even get lucky. With that approach you just described, it's only a matter of time before someone who's grinding it out, who's doing the heavy lifting consistently, pushing him or herself to get to that next level. It's only a matter of time before that person uh, surpasses the other and begins to dominate. So the hard is the good is kind of the motto I embrace, right? You want to challenge yourself with hard things. And if something sounds too good to be true, it always is because selling success in general is is hard. If it was easy, you would have already achieved it, right? If you get to the level you you are the level you want to be at, you'd already be there, and so would everyone else. If it was easy, it's not easy, but that's okay. I, I look at it as there's a wall around success, and that wall is only scaled with good training and hard work. Mm. And if you don't have one of those two things, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get to the level you want. And so you want to say, is it worth it? You know, what do I want to achieve? And recognize um, that the price for success is always paid up front, right? You have Ooh, to earn that. your success. The price for success is always paid up front. And that's something that, that motivated me. I remember years ago, uh, we're talking many years ago now, no one knew who I was. I'm doing all the research that we're going to talk about uh, today and that are in my books. And, you know, some of these models I have uh, take took years. I mean, three to six years to develop them, test them, making sure everything was ready to go. So during all that time, it was like, man, this is grueling and, and I'm getting results from it and I'm showing it to some clients, but you know, I have bigger aspirations. This is pre all the books, uh, pre even my website. This is when I'm very unknown. But I remember something my uncle told me many, many years ago that I had um, in a little post-it note at the bottom of my computer screen. And he said, it's just temporary. And mm. I thought every day I would look at that because I'm like, man, this is, I'm grinding not for a week or a month. I'm talking years and years and years of just grinding and grinding and hoping it'll pay off. I said, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. It's just temporary. 
And that gave me that little nudge I needed to go through because I thought if I project myself in the future, will I be glad I'm putting in the extra effort now? Yes. And so you just kept pushing and pushing. And everyone who's successful has very similar stories to that, that it's hard at the beginning. And that's that's good. If it, it, you want it to be hard, that tells you you're on, on to something and you want to be smart about it, but you want to embrace the hard is the good. You want to embrace that. It, it's going to be hard. Good. Good. That means the things that are easy for you to achieve, when you achieve them, you go, is that it? Is that all right? It doesn't yeah. matter. So before you, you know, you want to say, does this really matter? This goal? Why does it matter? Think through that. How much am I willing to invest in it? And then make that commitment and do it. And when you achieve it, it'll mean something. So I think, yeah, embracing the challenge, I think is mission critical and just saying, hey, that's how it is. And that's good. And so when I embrace it, when I come out the other side, uh, it'll mean something. Yeah, I love it. I love it because, you know, it's marketing messages that let people off the hook that suggest things are easy and fast. I mean, that's the best marketing message of all time. That right. is exactly what the struggling salesperson is hoping to hear. Yep. And so they buy their little widget, their little gadget that's real simple, real easy. And they always come back to the truth that you just outlined. I love it. So let's talk about um, what really separates great salespeople from those that just struggle to get to the top. And we've already talked about some of them, but are there certain characteristics that you've found through the years you've been doing this that just show up time and time again, that this is what top people do and this is what everybody else does that the audience could learn from? Yeah, there's a number of things. Real quickly, um, I'll share two of them. Uh, number one is what's called a growth mindset, something we haven't talked about yet, uh, something we talked about uh, in the new book in detail. And this is the idea that your sales skills are like a muscle that must be continually developed. And this is one of the biggest problems that you kind of reference that I see in salespeople is they underinvest in themselves. They want to buy the newest technology, but they don't want to spend you know $15 on a, a sales book that could change their life. Yeah, it's like, well, we got to think you're always going to be with you. Technology is useful. It's great. Comes and goes. But the one thing that you're never going to throw away that'll never get outdated is, is you. And an investment in yourself is always the best one. So a growth mindset says that I want to foster that. And there's a lot of ways you can foster that. One I'll share with you real quickly is that you want to celebrate growth. In other words, you want to think about if this year that I achieved all my sales goals, even surpassed them, but I didn't really improve. Did I have a successful year? And I would say, no, no. I mean, it's great that you achieved your sales goals, but if you're not growing, if you're not improving, it's only a matter of time and probably a short matter of time until you begin to fall behind others who are. So we want to embrace that growth mindset where I'm celebrating growth. In other words, at the end of the day, what did I learn today? When you have a bad sales call, okay, what can I learn from that? How can I get better because of that? When I have a good sales call, okay, what did I do well? How can I even get a little bit better? What really resonated? Okay, that message did. How do I use that more? You're asking those kind of questions and you're participating actively in your growth. That's one. Second one that's really interesting that we also talk about in the new book is grit. Oh, mm. this is a big deal. It's predictive of not only sales success, but sales retention how long people stay in the profession of sales is predicted by grit. And that is just persistence. 
when you're pursuing a goal that you really want and when things get tough, do you fall back or do you continue on? And there are many ways to foster grit. One of them I shared a few minutes ago, and that is really understanding your why. If you have a sales goal, why does it matter? Does it matter? If you find, you know what? I'm really not excited when I think about why it matters. I don't even know. Then maybe you want to think about another goal or just reword it in a way. Sometimes that'll make sure it resonates with you. But if your why is big enough, you know, it's easier to generate that grit that you need. And that's just one of the many things that you can do. But grit and growth mindset, if people don't have a growth mindset, they will always over time struggle in sales. And if they don't have grit, it's very challenging uh, to become a top performer or to stay a top performer. I would agree 100%. So want to shift a little bit and talk about something, David, that I believe is at the very foundation of selling, which is understanding psychological reactants. And you talk about it a lot. And I really, really think back, you know, and I've been doing this now selling for 17 years and understanding reactants. I look back and I say that to me, it could be one of the most important things for salespeople to understand because you can hear it. As soon as you start to talk and you start to convince, you can hear the walls go up, the resistance start to rise. Can you walk us through the understanding of reactants and how that works in a selling situation? Yeah, it's a great point you bring up. And that's a powerful rule that has been validated now by over 35 years of scientific research. What reactance does is it kills influence. And if I could go back in time and talk to my younger self when I first got into sales, this is one of the things I would teach me. If I had to pick five, this is one of them. Because Me too. Yeah, I was passionate, as I'm sure you were, and I wanted to help people. But sometimes I would trigger reactance. Sometimes it would have been my fault. Sometimes it was no fault of my own. It was just, I was creating urgency, which is good, helping them do what was in their best interest, but I would trigger reactants. It would kill influence and the sale would often go awry because of it. So what is reactants? I'll describe it this way, something we can all relate to. If you walk past a sign that says, don't touch wet paint, what do you want to do? Brandon, what do you want to do? We want to touch the wet paint every time. We want to touch the wet paint, right? Everyone. I have asked Fortune 500 CEOs that question. And they go, same thing. I want to touch the wet paint. Everyone wants to touch it anywhere I've asked that question around the world, many different cultures. Why is it? So why is it that a sign that tells us not to do something inspires us to want to do that exact thing? That's reactance. And it's very relevant in selling. So reactance is that psychological arousal that occurs when a person believes that his or her ability to freely choose is being restricted by another person. So reactance is personal. It's when it's not your messaging. It's when I, as a buyer, feel that you as a salesperson are pushing me to do something. My instinct, my natural instinct is to push back and exert my independence and go, no. And so this comes up a lot when we're trying to build a strong business case for someone to move forward with a product or a service. And we need to understand it because there are simple things you and I can do to reduce reactants. Because sometimes it comes up when you're just trying to create healthy urgency, it can be triggered. But reactants and urgency are two different things. Otherwise, in other words, we can reduce reactants and not reduce urgency at all. So remember, reactants is personal and it blinds people from seeing the validity of your business case. So what can we do to reduce 
reactants. There's a number of things, many studies in this area as well, because it is so impactful. You can do simple things, even like statements after you, you share an incentive or you create a strong case to move forward. You can say things like, of course, uh, it's up to you. And I, I'll give you a, a real case study. We had a client many years ago. First thing I did with them, would look at their sales process. And uh, they were, I had an incentive at the end of the sale uh, where they would ask, give people a nudge to move forward now. And I, it became really clear that that was creating reactants. So I had them just use one phrase at the end. And it was after they shared the incentive, which was good and very valuable to those who wanted to invest in their product. Uh, they would say, and you can let me know if you want to use it later on. And what that did was it increased sales 39% because it reduced reactants. What they had already gone through the whole sales process. They had already created that business case. People wanted it. It didn't take away the urgency. In fact, now it let them see that incentive and the urgency it was creating that it's in their best interest to move forward now. But the salesperson got out of the way. So they didn't feel pressured by that person. And the, the, my, the client, it was the first thing we did for them. And they're like, how in the world did you do that? And I said, well, it's a simple scientific principle. I explained it to them in five minutes. And they're like, oh. And they said, can you do that for our whole sales process? And we did. And um, they just actually got purchased um, last year for half a billion dollars. They were a small company when we uh, started working with them. So it's amazing when you start leveraging some of the science, what it can do. But yeah, the simplest way to reduce reactants is right after you have that case for moving forward or moving on an idea, just let them know. Of course, it's up to them. You can say that in a number of ways, but the goal is you're letting them choose. That gets you out of the way. But if you build a good business case for moving forward with that idea or your product or service, that stands. And that, that alone has been shown to radically improve compliance rates every time it's used. Yeah, I love it. Because traditionally speaking, it's a little, when I try to explain reactants, it's a little counterintuitive to what people, again, going back to the beginning of this episode of what people think selling is, which is like forcing people to make decisions. And actually that lowers conversion rates. That lowers mm -hmm. because we're, we're raising someone's reactants. And so the relationship between understanding that and being a great salesperson, I think is really important. So let's talk about another skill. And actually, I wore the shirt today. We, we make these shirts for our clients. And this says, I don't know if you can make it out. Do you hear what it says? Telling is not selling. That's right. Telling is not selling. Selling, as you, I think you would agree, is a series of asking questions mm -hmm. yes. to gain control. So we always say we have these cute little phrases, right? And so telling is not selling. Questions is selling. Can you, under, can you help us unpack the importance around asking questions and what that does in a sales situation? Yeah, I think this is uh, mission critical as well. I think asking questions helps us understand. So early in the sales process and really throughout it, we're asking questions to kind of discover our, our potential clients' perspective, situation, needs, what happens if they don't do anything. And this is, brings us awareness, but good questions also bring value to our potential clients. And people will say, oh, that's a good question. And when, when you ask, uh, we call it a second or a third level question. We, our questioning model is based on how our brains disclose information, some really powerful research that's now been uh, validated over 50 years, came out back in 1973. And 
Um, anyway, very, very powerful uh, content that we base our model on of how our brains disclose information. So yeah, you want to ask questions throughout the sale. And that's one of the things that I also talk about in my new book, because one of the most underutilized places for salespeople to ask questions I found is after they present value. Oftentimes they'll let that sit or they'll say something like, does that make sense? And our potential clients will usually say, yes, that makes sense. Now, that's a really unhelpful question. A lot of things, they might perceive it to make sense, but they don't understand it. Or they might disagree with it, but they're like, yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't agree at all. But uh, of course, they don't say that. When you say, does that make sense? They say, yes, that makes sense. Do you have any questions? Not really. Uh, so we, we, wanna, we recommend is using what we call second level assessment questions after you present value. These are an absolute game changer because what they do is they guide your potential client in thinking through and then verbally responding to the value you just presented. So if they don't understand, you can become aware of that and clarify. But let's say they do understand and, they, and your, your question prompts them. That's what questions do. They direct our minds on what we should think about. So you ask a second level assessment question, and I'll give you an example of it in a minute of what they sound like, but then people think through and now they verbally respond to what you said. Yeah, I think that would actually help because of this, this and that. And now who's selling who, right? Love now, it. Yeah, there you're helping them uh, process that information. And now they believe it because they just verbalized it. I can think of this is a couple of years ago now, but the biggest sale I ever closed at my firm, I had uh, worked with this company for a while, um, long sales cycle with our training solutions, a big solution, got buy-in from everyone in this buying unit that mattered, except the CEO, because they didn't have a CEO when I started selling to them. So they brought in this new CEO, didn't know who I was, really didn't care. Uh, they, they have primed him for it. They go, here's, David's going to come in. He's going to present this. We love it. We think we need it. CEO said, well, we'll see. He was trying to make his mark. It was like three weeks into the job. I sit in front of him, totally unresponsive. I'm doing every rapport building strategy I know. Uh, and he won't even hardly look at me. I mean, just crossing his arms, no smile, stoic look. And so I'm presenting some value. I'm trying to engage him with questions. One of the questions I asked, though, after I presented something I thought was really important for them, I asked them uh, this question. If you were to adopt this training solution, how do you think it would benefit your organization? And he thought about it for like 10 seconds. And then he started sharing basically the value I had just talked about for the last few minutes and how it would impact him. What happened was after that question, the, everything changed. His body language changed. He started smiling. He started looking at me. I mean, and basically the sale was made on that question. And that's not unique. When you start after you present value using those second level assessment questions where you help people think through and verbally respond to the value, it helps you better understand them, but it also helps them better understand what you're presenting and how it can impact them and make them feel good about potentially moving forward with you. Um, so these are, I think, mission critical and vastly underutilized, more than questions in any other area of the sale. When salespeople learn this, because they're often not doing it, I've seen this literally double sales overnight. Just take your presentation. And when you present something that's really important to this client, ask a second level assessment question that helps them think through it. It is an absolute game changer. 
I could not agree more. I mean, this is what you were talking about right now was the thing that had me uh, obsess over your book, which I can't wait to get the new one and tell my team, I have to get David on the podcast. Like that we couldn't be more philosophically aligned. So, you know, we, we bring in the Socratic method and the word I wrote down in my notes and I circled it big, big, big. When you talk about second level questions is using, starting these, these questions off with how, and we talk about how do you get the prospect to become the salesperson? And you just nailed it. Asking them how, what it is that you do can be of service, be of value in their business. And you absolutely nailed it. You get the prospect to do all the selling. You just sit back and listen. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what last thing I want to unpack for the group, and I think this is really, really critical. I can't wait for you to talk through this, is the closing of the sale. And historically, you know, sales, this is you and I are so aligned here too. Historically, you know, there are people teaching you how to be a closer, you know, and there's movies made about it and all this stuff. And people think, as you know, like there's this big magic trick at the end of the sale where you pull the rabbit out and like this big closing technique. I am under the belief that if a salesperson has a problem closing the sale, it's because they have a problem opening the sale. Now you talk about micro commitments, unpack for us what closing really means based on the science, based on the data. Yeah, this is what really, one of the things that really shocked me when I first started getting into the science, because I was trained in what you just described. When I first got into sales, it was, you want to be a great closer. And what that meant was memorizing ways to ask for the sale at the end and being really adept at answering the objections those phrases usually induce. And so I got really, really good at it. At least I was able to ask for it in a number of different ways and I could handle objections. But when I got into the science, uh, what became really clear is that's not how our brains make a buying decision. Our brains make it through a series of strategic incremental commitments that guide us on a natural progression of consent and into that final decision to purchase, which is what happens at the end of the sale. So in other words, what happens at the close isn't created there. And that's the premise of most of the books on closing. That's why there are usually two parts to the book. It's how do I ask for the sale? That's half the book. And the other half is how do I deal with objections? So the idea is that the close is where the sale is created. And that's not the case. The, The close is where the sale may be revealed for many people, but it's certainly not created there. It's created through those incremental improvement, um, incremental commitments rather. And so when I learned that and started getting attentive to those, what I found is a number of things. Number one, I was far more effective at the close because why I was attending to the close throughout the entire sale. Because when I say incremental commitments, um, there's specific commitments. We call them the six whys that are the commitments our brains must make to say yes to you at the close. And so what are the six whys real quickly? Oh, why change? Why now? Why your industry solution? In other words, why can't I do this myself? Why do I need you or any of your competitors? Why uh, you or your company? Why your product or service? And then why spend the money? There's usually a limited amount of funds. Why should I invest in what you're offering versus something else I might need? When you can guide people through your sales process in committing to those things, the close is almost always extremely positive and easy. Why? Because what is an objection? This blew me away too when I saw this in the science. 
because uh, I never thought about it before. Really, what's an objection? When there's all kind of nonsense in the sales literature about you know requests for more information or buying signals, and no one knows. What the science says is it's a breakdown of the decision process. When one of those commitments isn't made, the buying process breaks down. It results in an objection. So the implications for this are huge. Two of them real quickly. Number one, if I can be attentive to those commitments throughout the sales process, I can negate almost all objections that I'm going to hear at the close. Or if I get them, they're weaker. Second, if I do hear an objection at the close, since I know what created it, I can go right to the root of it. I don't have to just do some superficial uh, sales mumbo jumbo that doesn't work in the real world. I can go right to the root of it because I understand the psychology that created that objection. And so when people embrace this incremental approach to closing, and it's not this ABC always be closing nonsense, I'm talking about more of a science-backed approach where I'm attending to those six commitments that I just mentioned throughout my sales process, meaning what makes a sales process good or bad, effective or ineffective? Are you focused on those commitments throughout your sales process? If you are, and you're guiding people through them, you're literally aligning how you sell with how people buy. And if you're not, in fact, I can often look at a sales process and see which of those commitments they're not focused on. And I can tell people, well, here's the objections you're hearing. And they're like, how'd you know that? Because we didn't tell you that. Well, I can see it from your sales process because you're missing part of the buying process. And of course, that's often going to be revealed at the close, but it's not created there. So when we go in and focus on those incremental commitments, we can negate or weaken the objections that speeds up sales cycles, and it makes closing much easier for you and more importantly, for those you're selling to because you're helping them through the buying process rather than just presenting like it's a play and then at the end, beating them up when they say no. Now we're focusing on what do they need, getting back to that understanding, what do they need, what information do they need uh, throughout this buying journey? What, what matters most to them? How do I present this? Those commitments are how you do it. I love it. I mean, it's so good. And you, you, the framework that you give in, in, in this book, The Science of Selling, is so good, walking people through the six whys and understanding that, that selling is absolutely a process based on how people make buying decisions, not on you, your product, your service, your company, you, 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 which we all know nobody cares about. It's got to be based on the, the human uh, psychological makeup of how we make decisions. Would you agree with that? I would. I think, yeah, you, you said it uh, better than I did. That was, that was exactly it. And I think what I would I'll challenge people is, is say, what is your sales process based on? Is it based on uh, the science? Uh, if so, uh, great. If it's not, what is it based on? Almost always it's based on seller preferences, meaning I'm going to mimic the guy next to me. Okay, Bob sells a lot. I'm just going to say what Bob says. We don't know why Bob sells a lot, but he seems to. People like him. So we'll just copy what he says. Or it's how would I want to be sold to if I was the buyer? Uh, so it's a very narcissistic way of, of selling. It's all about who? Me. And like we talked about earlier, it should be all about our buyers. So a lot of salespeople will say in organizations, we're really focused on our clients. Well, how do you sell? Well, we sell the way we want to. Okay, you might want to think about that, right? So if it's really focused on the buyer, it should be literally uh, focused on the buyer. And the only way to do that, unless you try to guess, well, here's, I hope my buyer thinks this, or here's what I think they think, again, that's still based on you, is when looking at the science. The science brings the transparency and gives you tremendous insight 
And as we've talked about today, once you learn some of these principles, it's not hard to do. This isn't like your college psychology class. These are simple things you can learn in minutes. And once you learn them, now you're empowered and you start having different conversations. Instead of, I need to start asking more questions, it's how do I ask second level questions after I present this value proposition? I mean, the whole conversation changes from generic guessing to specific and strategic. And that is how we improve sales. So I think science is the future. A lot of great business schools are starting to embrace it, colleges and and a lot of leaning organizations around the world and smart people like yourself, Brandon. So I think the more we can get people uh, learning about that, we don't have to guess our way to success. We can actually use science. The more we're going to be able to serve effectively those we sell to and the more successful we'll become. I love it. And I agree. Hope is not a strategy. And so this was a lot of fun. I mean, honestly, I think I could do this with you for hours and hours and hours. We're having a good time. Yeah, uh, me too. So how can people find out more about your work, your books, which have made such an impact on me? Can they, where, where should they go, David? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying, sharing that. Uh, Huffeldgroup.com, H-O-F-F-E-L-D group.com is our website. A lot of great resources there that you can learn more about this approach. And of course, check out The Science of Selling. And my newest book comes out March 22nd, Sell More with Science, a very practical books that'll help you go to the next level as well. And you can find them anywhere. Fine books are sold. And we will link to all of that, you guys, in the show notes here on YouTube, on the replay. Just go in the description and we'll link to all of uh, the information David just just uh, talked about. I would highly recommend your podcast. I mean, I when I work out, I listen to your podcast and it's just good quick hitters. So I love your podcast too. So go find him on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. But David, thank you so much for pouring into the reverse selling community. We really appreciate the work that you do. It's in alignment with what we believe in uh, of what selling is and what it is not. And so I just want to thank you so much for for, uh, spending the time with us today. Oh, it's been great. Thank you for all your work as well and your contribution to the profession of selling. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Awesome. Thank you, David. For more tips and advice on how you can grow your business, be sure to follow Brandon on YouTube and Instagram at Brandon Mulrennan.